so much, Carl. Good morning, everyone. Um, if you're a guest, a very warm welcome. Thrilled that you have joined us today. My name's Hugh. Uh, privilege of being one of the pastors here. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. How's that? Video man subtly telling me to move there. Um, to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, it will come up on the screen. Um, but I do encourage you to turn there. It'll be uh, in the New Testament. So kind of three quarters of the way through your Bible, you'll be able to find it. Um, I was having a little giggle as Carl prayed for me because I've been watching a bit of Star Wars. So when he said a two-edged sword, I just imagined myself up here with a, with a lightsaber. Anyone else have those very giggly moments during church when you're supposed to be deeply serious? Yes, um, which reminds me of a joke, actually, about a pastor who once announced that uh, the church board meeting was straight after the service. Um, and they gathered together, but there was a stranger in their midst, and they asked them what they were doing there. And he said, well, after today's sermon... I'm just about as bored as everyone else in the church. Um, so I hope that's not the case today. I hope that's not the case today. Um, but if you do have your Bibles, hopefully in your Ephesians chapter 5, before we start the sermon proper, this week I had the uh, privilege of being in London for a few days um, with someone within a wider church of the family, New Frontiers, called Andrew Wilson. It was basically two days of a deep dive into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and it was, yeah, your head was certainly filled but your heart was filled, really, and it was just amazing how much of the Old Testament is brought into the life of Jesus and how much Jesus illuminates the Old Testament. And I just want to encourage you, I think the resources for that will be up at a blog called thinktheology.com or .co.uk, one of those. Really encourage you to um, have a look at that blog. It's full of rich, rich biblical truth, but also full of life and joy in the Spirit. And last Thursday, as we've done for the last three weeks, we would go prayer walking up in the north of Colchester. Those uh, who aren't aware, we, we think God's got something for us up in the north of Colchester, another gathering or something like that. So we're spending these three months, June, July, August, praying every week up in the north. Please, 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 if you think I'm not going to the north or I don't live in the north, it doesn't mean you can't come and pray. Come and pray for the city. It's been real. It's been a real good time of fun. The sun's been out the last three weeks, hopefully this week. And just the opportunity to pray and walk the streets of our city and bless it, but also to seek God for guidance. So if you're free on a Thursday between 7.30 and 8.30, we do just go for an hour. We finished at 8.30 and we meet opposite David Lloyd's up there. If you want more details, do come and ask for them. But let's dive in today. Um, before I start reading God's Word, sometimes when you're preaching, you get kind of really excited because you know that most of the people in the congregation are going to be going, yes, come on, that's wonderful biblical truth. Um, there are other times you preach and you think most people it's going to be like they're sunburnt and it's going to be a bit like, oh, ouch, or something like that. So today is a bit more of one of those days, although there is wonderful, wonderful truth and it is all good. Some of the things that we read today are quite hard hitting and I don't know where everyone is in the room. Some of you wouldn't call yourselves followers of Jesus, maybe, and you're trying to work that out. And, and these words can seem so alien to us. You think, well, if that's what Jesus is calling us to, I'm not sure I want anything of that. Um, I hope today that Jesus speaks into all of our hearts and we welcome what God's got to say. Um, don't worry, it's not too heavy. Okay, I'm painting, I might be painting a picture that makes it too heavy. But it's a real invitation to come into God's Word. So what I want you to do is be attentive to your instinctive heart reactions when we read these scriptures. It's a good habit to get into. 
when you read the Bible to be attentive to what your initial reaction is when you read a bit of Scripture. Okay? Sometimes it's a bit like, oh, oh, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I've got questions. And we, we, we notice in our hearts some good, some good things, but we also notice some hurts, some pains, and some questions that actually need resolving and working through. So be attentive to your heart as we read through Scripture today. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity, all covetousness, must not even be named among you, as is proper. Isn't that a great British word? As is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord. Notice, not in darkness, but you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. As Carl said, it is a, it's a double-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And as best as we can, we welcome that, Lord because we know that your piercing of us brings relief and life and is to do us good. So I do ask you to do us good today. Help us, Holy Spirit, to receive these words, to see you in these words, and as a result, to more and more honor you and live fruitfully for you. And everybody said, amen. So we're just going to walk through these with three points I've got to you for you today. The first one is pursue imitation. Can you say imitation? So it starts with this word, therefore. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And later on, it says in verse 8, walk as children of light. So it starts with therefore. As we've gone through the book of Ephesians, we've done it really in two parts. The first few chapters are all about what God's done for you, how God's redeemed you, how God's rescued you, how God's made you new, how God has opened your eyes and your heart to Him, right? And we're starting now to look at the fruit of that over the last few weeks of that life. So therefore, in view of who God is, what God has done, how God has rescued you, how He has changed you, how He is transforming you, these things come. It's always, always necessary to remember that. Because God is not saying, and if you're not a Christian here, you, you live this way so that I will do all these things for you, right? I've done all these things for you, and the appropriate natural response is to live this 
way. Therefore, because what God has done, it says be imitators. Can you say imitate? Okay, this is the word mimitai from which we get mime you know, or mimic. When you mimic someone, often we kind of, we, it's when you mock someone, there's someone in our congregation, I won't mention his name, Callum, at all. He's very good at mimicking people's accents. So if you have any kind of accent, I suspect he has perfected it. And when he does it, you think, you sound exactly like that person. We, we, we hear that and we look at it and we say, oh, it's like, oh, it's like that. We have this with our, with our children, don't we? You look at the child, oh, you look like this person, right? And you get people who are amazing. Any BGT viewers here? Yeah, you get people up there and they can flip accents and mannerisms and you think, well, that just looks exactly like Michael McIntyre or whatever it might be, okay? Some of you know what we're talking about. That is what it is to mimic. You, you see something and you say, oh, that is, that is that. And you may have heard the phrase, you become what you behold. Have you, have you heard that phrase? The more you think about something or focus on something or give your attention to something, you start to manifest that, don't you? If it's a person in your mannerisms. So I wouldn't be surprised that as people come to me often say, oh, when you preach, you look like or you sound like these people, people I would often listen to or be attentive to because you think just naturally, if you behold or value something, you start to become a bit like that, don't you? You start to adopt mannerisms and things. And the reason you behold something in the first place is because you admire it, isn't it? The reason you're attentive to something or to someone is because you think there's something admirable or something interesting or something you like about that person. And so, obviously, it's important that you don't try and imitate without loving, <laughs> okay? If you try and imitate without loving, it just feels a bit clunky, doesn't it? You think, okay, I don't, I don't know why you're doing that. But because you love, and in this case, we love God, we become like Him. We behold Him and we start to become more and more like him. So it's important to note, yeah, it says, therefore imitate God as dearly beloved children. Most religions teach that if you keep the laws of God sufficiently, you will become a child of God. And then anyone who can keep the laws of God sufficiently. <laughs> Christianity obviously turns that on its head, doesn't it? And it said you become a child of God by an act of grace, which is a, was a gift. And now we're to imitate him because we love him. Um, the other day, one of, one of my sons, he finished the toilet paper roll and he replaced it there and then the correct way and he got rid of the old toilet paper roll. I was like, that's my son. He's imitating me. <laughs> Not everyone in my house imitates me. They often leave it for the next person. Um, it's probably because I went to boarding school and uh, routines were, but I was like, that's my son. You're like, look at him. You can see me. Uh, a silly example, but um, another one would be my mum. So I grew up in Zimbabwe. My mum was there as well for many years, and she joins us once a week in the evening for dinner. And um, it's kind of, but the kids do something, and we're almost saying the exact same thing at the exact same time dealing with our children, because I grew up, and that's, that's, that's my, that's my mum. And we've over many years, you become formed, even though I've not lived with her for many years. Because when you get birthed as a child, you look to your father, in my case, my mother, and you become something like them. Now, there are particular aspects here that we're called to imitate, and we'll start to unpack them. But it starts, doesn't it? It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in, walk in love. 
just as Christ has loved you, and it speaks this beautiful language, doesn't it? It speaks of how Christ's sacrifice was unto God. Did you notice that? It says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So yes, Christ has done it for us, for you, but part of that is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It doesn't make the focus on us any lesser, but it's almost as if Christ is seeing through us in what he's doing and offering the sacrifice unto God. What Christ did for us was unto God. So how has Christ loved you? You know, just for a moment, you know, has he had to be extremely patient with you? Has he had to be enduringly kind with you? Has he had to be repetitively generous to you? Of course he has. And if you're not thinking he had to be, believe me, he's still being right now in our sometimes stubbornness and difficulty to see that. But it's a sacrifice unto God. So before we talk about some of the other lifestyle things, the first call here is to pursue imitation. So this moves the question away from What's the least I need to do as a Christian to what can I do that looks like God, that looks like Christ? Those two questions are a million miles away from each other, aren't they? Um, For example, when we love each other, we need to see through the other person to God, don't we? So when, for example, because I'm always like this, I'm joking. I have a lot of work to do. But when I'm kind to my wife out of love for her, sometimes what's really helping me is that I'm kind to my wife out of love for the Lord. I'm seeing the Lord through her. And it's the same in any relationship, isn't it? You sometimes love a person because you're doing it unto the Lord, not because the person's necessarily lovable, although my wife always is. You need to be careful what illustrations I use off the cuff here. Um, one of the best bits of marriage counseling you can ever have or relational counseling is sinner first, sinned against second. Right? Because we get so self-absorbed with what we deserve and you've wronged me and you have done this to me, we tend to forget that we are sinner first, sinned against second. So I advise you not to use that against someone, you know, when they're being unkind to you. Remember, you're sinner first and sinned against second, although it's helpful, isn't it? Sinner first, sinned against second. J.D. Greer puts it like this. I've mentioned it. He says, what if you looked through whomever you were being asked to love and you saw Christ standing behind them? And you looked at whatever you were doing for them as first and foremost unto him. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord, we tend to think of our activity, but actually how we relate with each other. And I try to tell my children this. The way we treat people is independent of what they deserve. The way we treat people is because they're made in the image of God. And there's a worth and there's a dignity in that, regardless of what they do. And we treat people as unto treating the Lord. Otherwise, what we're saying is, I'm going to treat you how you deserve, but you know what? I don't want that. (laughs) You treat me how I don't deserve, but I'm going to treat you how you do deserve. If we're to imitate God, imitate Christ specifically, who laid down his life as a sacrifice unto God, it feels very, very different. Sometimes our acts of love towards others will seem like they are wasted on that person. Right? Have you ever felt that? (laughs) 
It's a waste being patient or loving or kind or forgiving or generous to this person. It's a waste. It's a bit like the woman with the perfume who broke the alabaster bar jar over Jesus. Everyone thought she was wasting the perfume of worship. They looked at her and they sneered. But she was doing it as if unto the Lord. Have you ever felt that? Are you like, this is wasted on this person. Patience, kindness, gen- do it as unto the Lord. We are called to live a Christ-imitating sacrificial life that affects everything. And Paul's going to address some of these key aspects, namely sexual activity, greed, and our words. Although some commentators will put it all together and say it's actually all around sexual activity, right? Greed affects that and how we speak about it. It all comes together. We'll treat them separately. But before we dive into those individual issues, which we'll all have questions of, we need to unpack another thread that we see in here because this is what happened. And you know, sex is the most obvious one, but greed is part of it as well. And particularly how we use our words affects it. When we start to think about these things, we will come up against resistance. It's at odds with how the world around us values and thinks and processes. It's at odds with what inclinations in our heart want. We will find resistance. We will find justification in our heart to not follow what Jesus does. Have you ever noticed that in your heart? How easy it is to justify what we do. No? Anyone find you know you notice the conversation, even if you choose the right attitude at the end. There's a conversation in your heart. If you're not aware of that, begin to pay attention. Otherwise, it's just going on and you don't even, don't even realize it. Discernment is what we're going to talk about now. So pursuing discernment. Can you say discernment? So we're pursuing, pursuing imitation, okay? And before we talk about the particular issues, we're like, yes, I want to be like the Lord. So, so tell me how I can be like the Lord. But hold on. You need to pursue discernment first. So discernment really comes down to knowing what is right in any and every situation. Wouldn't it be nice that if every decision we ever had to make, the Bible had a line that said, do thus, don't do thus. That would be far less exhausting, would you agree? But actually, 99% of the decisions you make every day don't have a line in the Bible that says, do this, do that. It requires discernment. It requires working out what is not just best, but as we'll see, what is pleasing. Can you say pleasing? So verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And it goes on. When was the last time you thought, I wonder what's pleasing to the Lord as opposed to what's right or wrong? And sometimes the, you know, the two obviously come, come together, but we are to pursue discernment. Do you, do you see here it says, try to discern what is pleasing? <laughs> you, you, you've got to try. It's going to be hard, hint, hint. It's going to be confusing at times. But put effort into trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You and I need discernment. Firstly, to find out what pleases the Lord, okay, positively. But secondly, because there is deception flying around. 
The, the, the scripture tells you that your heart is duplicit, is <laughs> deceitful above all things. We, we live in a world where there are empty words everywhere. Social media, even around us, billboards, we are being preached to every moment of our days. Do you understand that? There is not a neutral moment, whether it's TV or internet or the images that have been put in there, advertising, whatever, you are being preached to, most of it with empty words all of the time. We need discernment to find out what pleases the Lord's, but because there is darkness, there is that which is good and right and true, there is that which is bad and wrong and lies. And Paul is saying, do not go with the flow. Do not go with the flow. Shine the light of the gospel, the discerning light of the gospel, into every aspect of your life and the world around you. So there is a warning here. You say warning. And there is wisdom. Say wisdom. Say wisdom with a smile. It's nice. There's a soberness. So firstly, the warning I've mentioned is there is deception. You need something, some truth, some plumb line to hold everything up against. Okay? So that's how you would discern. You're like, this is good and true and right. And does this fit in with that? Right? So there is this warning that is... Deception. D.A. Carson says, In our day, deception comes all the easier to arrange because so many Christians are no longer greatly shaped by Scripture. It's difficult to unmask subtle error when it aligns with the culture, deploys spiritual God talk, piously cites a passage or two, and it works for life. I.e., we're not really formed by God, think, from the Word of God. We're just formed by general think, which is more from the world around us than we think. So here are some phrases that would reflect the kind of world's thinking. Let go and let God. That's not scriptural at all. That doesn't match up with what the Bible says. Sounds nice because it's partial truth and it works. Let go and let God. No, 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 no. Let go of trying to earn your salvation. (laughs) Take hold of God and take responsibility for your life because God's given you gifts that you'll be held to account for. Another one, love wins. You heard that one? Love wins. And in theological context, it means no matter what you believe or what happens when we die, we all go to heaven anyway, or there's total annihilation, so it doesn't really matter. Okay? Because love, at the end of the day, wins no matter what shape or name or face you put on it. Another one is, if you disagree with me, you're degenerating me. Right? Cancel culture. If you say, if you disagree with me, You're totally canceling me as a person. You're writing me off. No, not at all. (laughs) The Bible is full of hard truth and love that disagrees with much of what we would think. Okay? Another one is, you do you. Isn't that nice? I mean, you can't say that without being sassy. You do you. Okay? (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say it. Sorry if you're new and you don't know the person. You know? You do you. What that says is... Forget everything else and everyone else. You just pursue your own road. And if you trample people or ignore people, so be it. Right? Or if you fail to take responsibility. And then the great Disney classic. Who knows what I'm going to say? Follow your heart. Oh. If I followed my heart, I would be amazing. No, no, no. I'm joking. No, I'm joking. But these things, they, they, they fill us up, don't they? Okay. There is these empty words around. And if you are under the age of, I don't know what it is, particularly 18, 
This is the stuff that you're hearing and listening to every day. And it's shaping you at the time of your life when your neural cortexes are being most formed. Okay, there's a bit of brain science for you, right? In your teens through, I think, to your mid-twenties, most of your thinking patterns in a natural biological way are formed and shaped in. Now, you can continue doing so if you can. It's hugely important. And then you have the sobering bit that not only is there warning of deception, there is judgment. Okay? Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who who is covetous, that is an idolater, so it's not just greedy, although we'll use the word greed, it's idol worship, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What do you make of that? There's bits of scripture, we just like, I kind of get the meaning, let's, let's, let's move on. So what's going on here? Well, to try and summarize it, scripture teaches that if you are in ongoing, unrepentant sin, there's not much confidence we can give you that you're saved. Okay? It's very different to falling into sin. All right? There's one thing to say, I'm going to do this and God will forgive me. That's one of, the, one of the phrases of our age. It doesn't matter. God forgives everything. That's very different to, oh no, I've sinned. Thank God that he forgives me. Two are different, aren't they? I'm going to do this. God will forgive me. Everything will be okay. That's very different hearts to, oh no, I've done this again. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. One falls into sin. One stumbles. We all do, right? We all often are. But the moment you continue down a path when Scripture is clear, when counsel around you, maybe the leaders God's given you in your church, everything else is clear, once you go down that path, Scripture's warnings of having no inheritance in the kingdom come soberly to our door. There's no other way of putting it. Ongoing, unrepentant sin. God judges, dear friends. It's, often, it's not something we often talk about, is it? Which is why we get so excited about the old rugged cross. Because all the judgment for you and me was poured out on Jesus. Right? That's why we get excited. Not just because I'm going to heaven. That's wonderful. But man, were it not for that, I would be an object of wrath, deserving of judgment. If God doesn't judge his love as naff, Okay? Because it, it means anything goes. Right? But because he is a holy, there is robust love and justice. We sing the old rugged cross. It's not just that I get to go to heaven. It's that wrath has been poured out that was meant for me. Judgment. And it also means when you forgive, you're not saying it's okay, it doesn't matter. When someone wrongs you, it really matters. Right? It's unjust. But what you're saying is, I'm leaving you to the Lord. And the wrong you've done against me will be judged. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, he will take the judgment on the cross. And you, like me, you get, you, get, you, get, you get forgiven. If you don't repent, follow Jesus, ultimately there will be justice for all the wrong I have been done. There is no other belief system that deals with ultimate justice like the holiness, holiness of God. 
If you're living like a child of darkness, it's probably that you never died with him, which means you never gave him your sin, which means you never surrendered your all to him in the greatest exchange, making him Lord of your life. Therefore, you are carrying your sin in judgment, right? Because if you have done that, you've been given a new heart, truly done that. You've been transformed. You've been made a new creation from the inside out. Once you were darkness, but now you are light. So some Bible translations, they probably say you were walked in. It's trying to get at this right. You were darkness. So we have this sober warning here, but there is also an invitation to wisdom. It says in verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful posture? Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It takes effort. It takes working it out. It takes chewing it through. It takes being in the Word of God. So your thinking patterns are increasingly shaped by God's thinking. If you're asking, can I get away with this? Rather than what delights God, there should be some alarms going off around you, okay? You, you see this through the Gospels, this question of, what's the least I can get away with? The rich young ruler. <laughs> I've done all these things. Tell me what I can do. To, and Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions. You think, okay. There's, there's this constant question, what's the least I can do? The, but the better question is, what is pleasing to the Lord? We have this annoying smoke and heat alarm at home. So it's just outside the kitchen door in the hallway, okay, where our hamster lives um, at the moment. And it's fine, but the moment you open the oven and the heat comes out, what happens? The alarm goes off. You know, hamster, well, it doesn't freak out, it's sleeping, but you know. The alarm, and you have to go and press the button. Anyone else got one of those? How annoying is it? It's like, who's covered it up? You ticked your home insurance that you've got one, but you've covered it up or you've unscrewed it. I won't ask you to confess your sins right now. <laughs> um, my, my point is this. For a fire to take hold and cause damage in our home, we're going to have to ignore a lot of warning signs, a lot of beeping. Because at the first sign, the alarm goes off. That's what discernment is like. That's what pleasing the Lord is like. It's not walking the line and saying, how close can I go? How much heat can I leave in the house, you know, until there's a fire? No, no, no. The discernment says, man, I'm going to set the alarm over here so I don't go anywhere near over there. And is it annoying? Well, yes, because you won't take part in that conversation. You won't be in the in crowd. You won't watch that movie. You'll turn your phone off at night so you don't look at porn. You will... Forsake that holiday. You will not take that job which looks lovely, but it's all about money and getting other things you want now. Do you see what I mean? The d discernment, what pleases the Lord, sets, sets the boundary here, not, not over there, on the edge. If we get in the habit of asking each other, how are you pleasing the Lord in discipleship rather than where are you sinning? Both are good questions. I think it will change something of our honoring of the Lord. So there's this invitation to wisdom. And it's hard because it's like waking up from sleep, isn't it? Who's got a snooze button? Who uses the snooze button regularly? Like, wake up, oh sleeper. These verses say, you know, no, snooze. Just want to ignore it. I know I'm meant to get up. Snooze. No, that, that's like getting closer and closer. All right, it's five to eight and I need to be at work at eight. I better get up now. You know, wake up. There's deception all around you. 
If that is the approach that you take to dabbling near the line of sin, there's going to be a fire. The alarm will be too late in there. Wake up, O sleep, arise. Be attentive. Beware that there is deception around. What areas of your life is your thinking and practice not being held up to the gospel of light? Okay, Where are you not saying, what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? And it's not just that question. It's like, okay, what should I know about Scripture? Help me, dear friends. So what areas of your life are you not holding that up to? There are some obvious ones. Most of them are to do with money and your eyes. Okay? It's just no. So are you holding Scripture up into your finances and what you're prioritizing and where your first and your best goes to? You can't fudge it in Scripture. calls you to give the first and best of your finance to the Lord. Okay? Whatever that might look like, I believe it's to the, the storehouse, the church where God, kind of you're being served and you're out working mission together. But if that's a stumbling block, just give it away. But if you think, I'm going to tick a box and give this bit, I'm not sure that's discerning the Lord. It's what's pleasing to the Lord. If you think in my eyes, oh, I won't watch that, but this is okay. It's usually to do with money and our eyes, right? Sometimes our feet, where it takes us. Pursue imitation and pursue discernment. And I've started to touch on some things now because the third one is given to be discerning and imitation, we have to pursue purity. Can you say purity? Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper. Can you say proper? It's proper amongst the saints, yes, to have none of this. Not even mentioned. Your words are greed and sexual immorality. So sexual immorality is porneia, which means any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a wife, okay? So the Bible teaches that all sexual activity and expression is to be between the covenant relationship between a man and a woman in Scripture. All other sexual expression activity is not to occur. That's what Scripture teaches. So anything else that's going on outside of that context we're called to have nothing to do with. It's improper. This word proper is what is suitable, what is appropriate, what is fitting to a dear beloved child who is imitating God and seeking what is pleasing to him. See, what discernment does is it hears that command and it doesn't think, this is just some desire from despot in the sky. Discernment says, well, this is really hard, but I know the character and the nature of God, and I'm utterly convinced this is for my good, and it's not depriving me of something. It's actually making me alive. That's biblical discernment, right? It's seeing what God is like, what he's doing through these commands, and it's seeing in our hearts, our hearts be like, oh, but you're just stopping me Expressing my desires. No, 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 it's not. It's an invitation to fuller life. That's how discernment works in that regard. Well, the reason it's not proper or fitting for Christians, children of the light, to have any sexual activity outside of marriage, well, number one, it's just because God said so. Okay, but there's much more to that. There's a reason God said so. It's because the world's attitude to sex is that it's just a physical desire, isn't it? Yeah, not much 
different from any other desire, such as hunger. If you're hungry, what do you do? Feed yourself. If you've got a sexual appetite, what do you do? You satisfy yourself, right? That's, it's just this, this sense of desire. You feel hungry. You eat. When you desire sex, it's not much difference. But the Bible says this is like being in the dark. How do you find your way when you're in the dark? Feel, don't you? You just feel your way. You think, oh, that's a nice cushion, cuddly. No, it's a huge spider. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's my wife's shoulder. Oh, no, what? It's a snake. You know, you can see which country I grew up in, okay? So I think some different examples here in England. You feel your way in the darkness, right? But you find your way by feeling, not by seeing, not by discernment, not by illumination. And here we have illumination. It's like a torch. You shine. Oh, I, I see that cuddly thing is a, can't do better, monster spider, okay? Whatever it might be. It's not something warm and fuzzy that I thought. It's dangerous, right? That's how it works. God shines a light on it. Sex is this profound union between a man and a woman, not just for enjoying sexual desire, but as an expression of Christ and the church, okay? This union, this oneness in a covenant relationship shouts and declares the gospel, right? So there won't be this in heaven because we will be united with Christ. It's a foreshadowing. It's a looking. That's why marriage is not about you being satisfied or you having a partner. <laughs> it's about declaring the gospel. So when you forgive a husband or a wife, you're not just having a nice harmonious marriage. You are proclaiming the gospel to the world. That's what the light says. It says it's this, this deep mystical union, which is in a covenant relationship, is about mutuality, a coming together, a oneness that speaks of our union with Christ. When you have sex outside of marriage, you're taking physical oneness from them without giving them the rest of yourself. You say, I love you, but you haven't given yourself to them in covenant form. You're taking. You haven't given your whole self to them. So you say, well, we're just not in a place where we can get married. Okay, stop having sex. It's not complicated when it comes to God's word. For your protection, this is not some real moral prudish laws. It's honoring God. It's being pleasing to him. And it's an invitation to a fuller life. And remember, there's this warning that if you just go down this path, and you keep going, and it's a deliberate choice. It's not about falling into sin. Beware. But it doesn't just talk about sex, does it? It talks about greed or covetousness. Can you say greed? Craving something that God has chosen not to give us at the time is saying, God, you're not satisfying enough, right? That's why it's called idolatry. <laughs> All right? when, we, when we covet something, we feel we need it, we want it to be fully satisfied, it's idol worship. Because you're putting that thing as the fulfillment of your ultimate desire rather than him. Right? So all of this idolatry image in the Old Testament, let it speak into your heart in the New Testament. Right? It's all, it's all building one big thing. So that's how our hearts work. Our hearts are idol factories. Constantly making idols. We worship approval, success, fame, health, ease, a certain weight, a certain salary, a certain car. Oh, man, I want a Jeep. You know, it's true. It's, you know, like for me, like having a sit-on tractor and a plot of land that's big enough for me to use that tractor, that's one like utopian dream I have, and a Jeep, an open-back Jeep, just to cruise around with big tires, Okay. That's where my mind sometimes goes when I'm feeling sorry for myself. It's like, if only I had these things, life would be wonderful. 
pay attention to where your thoughts go when you're just still. Now, there's nothing wrong with desiring some of those things, okay? They're not. But if in those moments when you think, I want to be happy, I deserve to be happy, I should have that. Where does your mind go? If not the Lord. Maybe that speaks into what we're coveting. And then just finally, as we come to an end, it talks about our words, doesn't it? It says, let there be no filthiness or foolishness, talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Can you say thanksgiving? And I know I've gone on. I don't know where the time's gone. So if you're coveting something, the antidote is giving thanks. Right? You give thanks for what you have. Give thanks to the Lord. You, give, you fill the vacuum in your heart that's wanting that. You remind your heart what he's done, which is why singing together is so important on a Sunday. Declaring the goodness of God and what he's done for us. I start cold. My heart's a million miles away. Sometimes you think, hello. Oh, my heart is being filled. I'm giving thanks. I'm satisfied in the Lord. It's important, isn't it? Is this a habit in our lives to give thanks? Not to constantly speak about what we don't have, what we want, but to constantly develop the habit of giving thanks. Thanks. If that is not your habit, your soul will be craving what it does not have rather than rejoicing for what you do have in Christ. So I wonder if we can stand together. The worship team are going to come up. We're going to give thanks, make much of, much of Jesus. So as I finish, as you pursue imitation, discernment, and purity, remember it's because you're a beloved child of God. And if you're not a believer here today and you wouldn't say, I'm a beloved child of God, I would love to pray with you. If you're a Christian and you're thinking, I know I'm a child of God, but experiencing being a beloved child of God is a million miles from my experience, please come and find me. I would love to pray with you. It's a supernatural thing, but it's also a thing that we develop as we, as we give thanks. And if some of the things I've spoken about, you think, Light has been shone today, and I think I'm too close to the line or I've crossed the line. Very quickly come to Jesus. Very quickly confess your sin. And very quickly come to brothers and sisters and get help and assurance. Lord, bless us, we pray, as we seek to pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.